Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. The elephant in the room. We are going to begin a new series today. Uh, We're going to keep it very short, two-week series uh, at Creekside. Uh, Today and next week, we're going to be talking about when faith and politics collide. How do these things go together? Uh, And as I was preparing uh, our preaching calendar for this year, and uh, I was looking at the fact that it's 2024, an election year, I was like... This is something we should talk about, but I really don't want to. (laughs) This is one of those topics, right? Everyone knows, right? What what do you never talk about? Yeah, there you go. And now we're going to put them together. What are you thinking, Luke? Um, And uh, but we're going to go there. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room, uh, and we're going to do this for a few different reasons. Uh, The biggest reason is because. Uh, I want to do my best to help us think Christianly about our politics. I am convinced that Jesus really is Lord. And if he is Lord, then he's not just Lord of my heart. He's Lord of my life. And that includes politics as well. If Jesus is really Lord, he is Lord of our politics as well. And um, so we're going to do our best to work through this. Now, uh, it was really fascinating for me. Uh, I, uh, from Janelle's recommendation, actually, I got a book to uh, study and read through called The Spirit of Our Politics by Michael Ware. It just came out literally like two weeks ago. Um, so if you're interested in digging more into the subject, uh, this is who I'm relying on for some of the ideas um, I'm going to try and get at well. Uh, not everything I'm sharing is from Michael Ware. Um, a lot of this is through my own thinking and my own struggles through the years. And again, our our guiding question is just how should we navigate the intersection of faith and politics? And one of the things he said that I do appreciate is that he says the problem is not Christians engaging in politics. The problem is that we aren't Christian enough with our politics. I was like, ooh, that's that's good. That'll preach. That's what people like (laughs) me are always thinking to ourselves. Uh, now, I will say this. Uh, studies have been done on, on where uh, Americans are politically, and uh, a number of studies have made the point that um, there are a number of people who are very vocal about their political identities and uh, their parties and representing them and um, say being very loud with their political views. Now, what's fascinating is that's not the majority. Approximately 67% of Americans belong to the exhausted majority. And I love that term. And I was like, oh, I am not alone. Uh, I relate to that exhausted majority. And if you are part of that exhausted majority, maybe when you saw that we're talking about this, you're like, oh, no, no, no more. Um, 
And if you are part of that other group, the people who are very loud about their politics, I just want to warn you um, that some of you who are perhaps most excited for this series may be most disappointed with it. Uh, because you're not going to hear from me a case made for a particular political party. Now, let me be clear. I am a part of a political party, and I have good reasons for that, but that's not what you're going to hear in this series. Uh, you're not going to get any insights into who I may or may not vote for for president. <laughs> um, those are important conversations if you want to have those one-on-one, -on -one, but I want to zoom out and really dig in to... Who is Jesus? And if he is Lord, what does that mean for how we think about this from a Christian perspective? And uh, I just want to share with you my own journey in becoming more and more confused about this issue with time. Okay? Because for me, growing up in a Christian home and uh, being very well discipled through my faith, I really, I really got it that Jesus is Lord of my life. That made total sense. But for me, I don't know why, for a long time, it was kind of like you had your politics and you had your faith. And as soon as I began to realize, no, like if Jesus is Lord of my life, he's Lord of my politics as well. Like how, do, how does that work? How do these things go together and how do they not? Um, I started realizing that scripture is kind of confusing on this point. And there's actually a good reason for that. If you say, oh, I'll just turn to the Bible. The problem is that when you turn to the New Testament, what you're reading are letters and stories from Jewish people living in a place and time in which they had zero political say. Zero. Right? Caesar's Lord, way over in Rome. He's the one in charge. It was not a democracy. Right? And so they were not thinking through the kinds of questions that many of us as Americans get to think about or have to think about as members of a democracy, where we actually do get a say or a vote in political matters. Uh, the New Testament was just penned in an era when Christians were politically totally powerless, and they were under a non-Christian rule. It was a very different social situation, and so they just were not wrestling with the kinds of questions that many of us come to the text with. Now, that is not to say at all that there's nothing to learn. There's a lot to learn here, and we're gonna do that together. But this is why it's complicated, because we're going to the Bible with questions that the first generation of Christians just did not have and need to struggle through. So today, I wanna to, uh, give you a big overview. When it comes to Christianity and politics, how do these things go together? And there have been traditionally, within the Christian tradition, uh, I'm simplifying a little bit, but I'm gonna talk about three broad approaches to Christianity and politics. Because then when you get to the nitty-gritty feet-on-the-ground issues about who you'll vote for, whether you realize it or not, you're actually doing that with one of these three approaches in mind. And so it's good for us to think about which one of these is your approach and is that the right approach. So uh, to get at this, uh, let me get at the first one this way. Here's a setup, and I love these verses, actually. This is a story about Joshua, who led the people into the promised land, after Moses stepped down and died, Joshua was the next leader and he was gonna bring the people into the promised land. And right before this happens, God himself meets him to encourage him and to give him instructions. And this is how the story goes. It says, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up 
and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Whose side are you on? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. It's because of these verses right here, remove the sandals from your feet, this ground is holy, that most people think that this is actually Jesus himself, the son showing up in the Old Testament. That this is not just an angel, this is God himself meeting with Joshua. Because also notice that Joshua pays homage. He worships this being and the being does not say, no, 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 worship the Lord only. This being accepts this worship. So the Lord himself is showing up in front of Joshua and what's so crazy to me is this is the people of Israel that God has just rescued from slavery in Egypt. And he has told them, God has directly told them, go into the promised land. I will be with you. I will be your God. But when Joshua says, whose side are you on? Neither. It's really interesting. Now, this is one of the key verses to one of the approaches to Christianity and politics and how these things go together. It's the separation approach that says, these things don't go together. Another key verse for this, this perspective on politics and Christianity is Revelation chapter 18. Uh, this is verses uh, one through four of Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She's become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. Who is this Babylon the great? For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Now, when you read through the book of Revelation, you realize that this is a symbol for the ruling authorities. And it's saying, get away from her, my people. So the first view of, uh, and this goes all the way back to a tradition called the Anabaptists, uh, is withdrawal and separation. Uh, that the common good should be worked for through the church directly, not government. And they would furthermore say that since power and governments are innately corrupt, Christians, you need to distance yourself from the political reins of power. That's not yours to take up. The illustration, um, I was actually just talking to someone who kind of has this view recently. And uh, I love their illustration of it. They said it's like the ring of power in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that this is political power. Right? Just use the ring for good, Frodo. <laughs> and this view would say that's like government or politics. Just use it for good. It's like, nope, it's going to corrupt you. It's not going to work out for good. This is one 
traditional Christian approach. Uh, this view says either or. This is my amazing art for you today. Uh, here's you trying to figure out what to do. And it comes down to either Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. Which one? You've got to choose. It's either or. If, Caesar, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't, is what this view would say. Now, this is one approach of Christianity and politics, and I just want to, you to understand, I know this is not the view of many of you here, but it might be the view of some of you. It might be a view you've never heard of before, and it's important for us as we talk about politics to realize what's going on at a high level. How do you think of it in general? And I'm just going to be honest and say for a long time, this was the view that I was um, most comfortable with, biblically speaking, mostly because I have just seen so much hurt done, not on purpose, not intentionally, but just hurt done by well-meaning Christians involved in politics in one way or another. Now, this is no longer my view. Um, I'll, I'll get to my view in a few moments. Whenever someone gives a list, by the way, they usually agree with the last one. So <laughs> I agree with the last one I'm going to give you today. Um, but I'd love for you to think about how do you think of Christianity and politics? How do these go together scripturally and biblically? And I'm going to give you verses for each of these because there are well-respected Christians who belong to each of these groups, okay? Today, probably within our church. The second view is uh, what I would call alliance and integration. This view would say God instituted the governing authorities. So faithfulness to Jesus means being a good citizen. These things go together. These are kind of very, you see how these are very opposite extremes. Um, but I think this is actually the view that most Christians in America today probably have. This is probably the default position. That uh, if you've ever said something like, good Christians make good citizens, you may have this view. Now, I want to clarify, I'm not talking about separation of church and state. Um, this is just the view that these things go together because God instituted government we are to submit to it. Here's a verse for that. Paul says in Romans 13, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. The authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. Do you see how Paul's putting these together? And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So that's what Paul says. And Peter actually says something very similar uh, if these were the only verses, that'd be one thing. But actually, Peter says something remarkably similar in the letter he wrote. He says to the believers he's writing to, he says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor 
as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. In other words, what's going on is people are speaking against the Christians. And Peter's trying to encourage the Christians, the way you respond is by living such good lives among the unbelievers that they have nothing to report, nothing to slander you with. It says, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. That's talking about the church community. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, what is wild to me is that Peter could write this to Christians living in the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was not very friendly towards Christians. And then he says, so much as it depends on you, honor the emperor. So this is the view of alliance and integration. Now, again, I'm not saying that these things are equal, but in this way of thinking, how do you honor the Lord? By being a good citizen, right? How do you submit to the Lord? By submitting to the governing authorities. Do you see how these are put together in these verses we just looked at? And if this is your view, you may have been wondering, like when you saw, like, we're talking about politics and when faith and politics collide, the person with this view would say, what are you talking about? They don't collide. They go together. Uh, you might be a proponent of this view without knowing it if you believe very strongly that God is on the side of your political party. And that leads to one of the issues with this approach is that, scripturally speaking, there's a big emphasis, and we're going to talk more about this next week, in the prophetic voice of being a voice for truth and calling out wrong when you see it. And in this view, there's not really a category for doing that. There's not really a, um, an implication that you should do that as a Christian. And yet when you read through scripture, that becomes very clear. So we have separation. We have alliance. And the last view I would call sovereignty and submission. It's all about the proper order. Some verses to get at this. Some Christmas verses. You know these verses if you've been to a Christmas Eve service. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And everyone knows who we're talking about. And the what will be on his shoulders? And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion of his will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal or the passion or the commitment of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. That's from Isaiah chapter 9. Daniel chapter 7 has another prophecy about Jesus. He says, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man. And by the way, if you've ever been confused about why Jesus calls himself the son of man, most Bible scholars say it's because of this prophecy that Jesus is saying is about himself. So Daniel sees one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the ancient of days, the father, and was escorted before him and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every, now notice, people, 
nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So here is our final view and a little visual for you. Uh, This view would say, Jesus is not just king of my life, he is king of the nations. This is where you might see those cheesy bumper stickers that say, like, Jesus for president. Sometimes when people have that, that's kind of what they're communicating. Sometimes they're communicating something else. Like, I'm just, I'm very unhappy with all the choices here. That might be what they're communicating. Uh, but the truth is, like, if you want to talk about levels of authority, what this view would say is, like, it's like, yeah, we have towns and cities. We have mayors. We have counties. We have states. We have the national level in our country. And then maybe we even have, like, the global level, like the U.N., And perhaps there's like a solar system level. And then there's like a galaxy level with the Milky Way galaxy. And then we have the universe level. And then we have Jesus. That Jesus is the king of America. We actually have a king. We're a monarchy. (laughs) And it sounds weird and ridiculous, but this is is the view uh, I now hold. Now, I do not know how this works out in everyday life always. And I struggle with this, but I do believe that Jesus, if Jesus really is on the throne, that the throne is real and it has something to do with what happens in the nations. After all, Jesus himself said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is after his resurrection. And these verses, uh, these are the, the, if there's a key verse for today, this is it, okay? Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 says this. It says, this is Paul praying for the Ephesian believers. He says, "I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, like Caesar, president, king, governor, and look at this. Right? You may see, oh, no, he's talking about in the future. No, listen to what Paul, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In this age too. Do you see it? Not only in this age, but in, also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So number three, uh, I would call this sovereignty and submission. Because Jesus is Lord over the nations, governing authorities, whether they know it or not, whether they recognize it or not, they owe their allegiance to him. And they are accountable to him. And they will be judged by him one day. 
And what this means on a practical level is you have an order of priorities. And, and the way I think of this, if this is helpful, kids, I have a question for you. I know you've been zoning out because we're talking about politics and you can't vote. And you were really rational when you made that decision. I know you were like, oh, I can't vote yet, so I'm not going to listen. <laughs> Uh, kids, uh, any of you familiar with the vote of, um, sorry, any of you familiar with the verse that talks about children are to submit to their parents? Ooh, is that your favorite verse or what? <laughs> no, uh, no, but kids, actually, I want to clarify something. Does that mean you have to always obey your parents no matter what? What if your parents tell you to lie? What if they, um, sadly, what if your parents are doing things they shouldn't, if there's abuse going on? So you submit to your parents first, but Jesus overall, right, kids? Jesus is the ultimate boss, and he's the boss of your parents too. And so what that means is you are to submit to your parents in all the ways that they are submitting to the Lord. But if they're not, you go with what Jesus says. Right? This is just a way to think about what this view is saying about us and politics and our governments. We are to submit to governing authorities, yes, but we submit ultimately to the Lord. And so do our Japanese friends across the ocean. <laughs> they are to submit to the Japanese government, but ultimately to the Lord, if they're Christians. And same with any members of any nation. Here's what uh, Michael Ware says in this book. He says, the, the problem, the fatal error is that our culture, our churches, and many, many individuals, Christians and others, have a view of a domesticated, personalized, and privatized Jesus who is simply not up to the task of our greatest public challenges. If before today you were just like, Jesus politics, faith politics, they just don't go together, I just challenge you that maybe your understanding of Jesus is too small. If he really rose from the dead and now is reigning from heaven far above all rule and authority, then I think he has something to say about our politics. If Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of the nations as well, which means we submit to him first. We submit to him first, a nation second. And so in so much as our nations are honoring the ways of Jesus, we'll be pretty good citizens. And in as much as our nations don't, if you ask the people in power in the nations, they might say, no, those Christians are troublemakers. <laughs> because if they're telling us to do things that aren't Christian... Sometimes it's uh, easier to give an example further from home. I was really challenged to think about this uh, when I read the biography of Dietrich bon, Bonhoeffer, Bonheffer. I don't know how to say the last name. Have, uh, how many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, so yeah, a great biography of him came out a few years ago. It's really, really long, but it's good. I don't think I made it all the way through, Janelle did. Um, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian and a pastor and a seminary leader in Germany during the time of World War II. You talk about some complicated relationship between faith and politics, right? And there were so many things about him that were so admirable about, you know, um, he basically, he, he was in America and he decided to go back 
and um, basically have a private secret seminary in Germany to train pastors, uh, even though it was against the law. Uh, eventually, he was arrested and he was executed um, just, I think, weeks, two weeks before uh, the war was over. But when I think about, like, just think about like a citizen who's a Christian in Germany in that time. There's some troubling questions, right? Do you, do you put that flag up? The one with the swastika on it? And then here's the troubling part to me. It's not just like, because I asked that question, I'm like, yeah, duh, no, right? But at what point do you realize that you shouldn't? At what point do you say, no, as a Christian, I can no longer say yes to this government or this aspect of what my government's saying? Do you see what I'm getting at? It can be tricky. And I don't have easy answers. I'm just the person saying, there aren't easy answers. So if you have really easy answers to this question, I just think it can get complicated. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller died recently. He was a church planter and theologian. Um, he trained many, many uh, other church planters and influenced many people through his books. And I was listening to a, an interview he gave, and I thought it was fascinating because he was talking about this issue of, of politics and Christianity and how these things go together. And he said something really fascinating. He said, when you read through the scriptures from beginning to end, it's very clear that it's pro-family, including a traditional view of marriage. It's pro-life, the sanctity of life. It's also pro-poor and is pro-foreigner. Now, what's interesting is Tim Keller was a pastor and church planner in New York City. And so think about that context. And if he was going to speak out about this fact, which of those that you do think the average person in his church would be like, yeah, that's right. right. The pro-poor and the pro-foreigner. And which of them in his context would people be like, oh, I don't know about that. I can think of a political party that would be really on board with two of these things. Now, if you're not sure about this, like I, we can work through the scriptures. There are actually more scriptures about God's heart for the poor than on the sanctity of life and the unborn. They're both there. They're both important. They're both on God's heart. And that's exactly my point. If you're a Christian and you're following Jesus and you're seeking to become like him, then more and more the things that break God's heart should break our hearts and we should be passionate about. And so my point is not, do not belong to a political party because they don't get it right. Again, I do. I think my political party gets it more right than the other one. But I don't think it's perfect. There are some stances that the political party I belong to make that I do not think Jesus would approve of. There's some things said by members of that political party that I don't think Jesus would approve of. And so I do not feel totally at home in that political party. I cannot just say a hearty yes to everything that that political party does because I'm a Christian first. I follow Jesus first.
So right now you're probably a little annoyed with me. I just wanted you to consider some questions today. Here are some questions for reflection. Uh, if the political party that you belong to, if you do belong to one, some of you don't, that's all right too. But if the political party you belong to moved away from a Christian stance, how would you respond? What if they did it on two Christian issues? How about three? Another question is, how long would it take someone to determine your political stance? Because we're asking about how public your identity is. How long would it take someone to determine your spiritual stance and where you are with Jesus? How much of your time and attention is directed towards politics? How much of your time and attention is directed towards God's kingdom? And I'll throw in another one, you know, because I know you want more. Uh, if you belong to a political party, a good question to ask and be able to answer is, in what ways does your political party get it wrong? It's a good question to be able to answer and consider. I believe that God made gifts of leadership and it, it to work for groups of people to organize themselves to have different levels of authority, like towns and counties, and things like that. And that God made leadership to be a good gift to be stewarded. And that people who serve in those roles, their job is to first and foremost serve the Lord because he is actually the true king. And that politics does better when it's aligned with Jesus's ways and it does worse when it's not. And I believe that Christians should submit to the governing authorities, but they submit ultimately to the Lord. And I think things get messy and confusing if we don't keep those in the right order. Now, the question you're probably wondering is, okay, what does that look like on a practical level? Again, without even talking about political parties or who you're going to vote for, um, next week we are going to get into more nitty-gritty because... And this has been the big challenge for me as I read through Michael Ware's book. Um, the challenge is actually, I think more of us need to be more political, not less. But you have to define politics the right way. When most of us think of politics, we think about something that's not truly politics. Politics, strictly speaking, is interacting with the systems of power to work for the common good. I think more of us need to be interacting with the systems of power to work for the common good. And we're going to talk about what that means and could look like next Sunday. In closing, before we respond, I want us to receive these words from the Apostle Paul from 2,000 years ago as a calling to all of us. And before I read these, um, just a few things. I, I know this is a sensitive topic, I know I did not say all the things that could be said and maybe even should be said. And so if you're like, oh, Luke, why didn't you talk about this? Or, um, I know it's dangerous to talk about politics in church. I would just ask you, before you write the angry email, 
and that's okay. I can take it. And I'm, I am really genuinely happy to continue conversations about this. But let's first go here. Right? This is our first confession. Jesus is Lord. He's boss. Whatever you say goes. And so let's seek to submit to him first. And so let's go there first. I would like to invite you to stand together. And I want you to hear these words as a timeless prayer for all of us. And then we'll respond in song and surrender and submission. And like normal, if you'd like prayer specifically for something, um, we will have a prayer team in the back. So let's uh, close our eyes and pray and hear this. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of Jesus' glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So God, I pray for our church and all of us who are either members of it or kind of on the outside listening in. God, I pray for all of us that we would be Jesus first in our politics as we should be in the rest of life and in all of life. God, give us wisdom because this is complicated. As much as I wish it was just very simple and straightforward, uh, I wrestle with certain realities and choices and votes and what the right decision is, what to stand for, which hills to die on. And God, I know all, many of us here feel that frustration and that tension. But again, would you just fill our hearts with the desire to honor you above all. And God, we do pray for those in authority over us. And we pray for our governor. We pray for our president. And we pray for the nations of this world. And we ask that you would work for your good in those nations through those governing authorities. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, Lord of all. Amen.